This is Two Girls, One Mike, the show that talks about the holes and plot holes of your favorite porn. Welcome to Two Girls, One Mike, the porn cast that when we find out there is a double-blind study involving dicks, we go to the source. I'm your co-host, Yvette Dontremont. With me is my not-blinded co-host, Alice Vaughn, who would like to find out with me what goes into a double-blind study involving dicks. Alice, what do you think? How do you blind a study with dicks? blindfolds and uh i don't know about double blind but i've been at least double fisting tonight <laughs> i want to know like if you if you double blind like is it do you have to know which dick it is or do you have to know which hole it's going into i have questions <laughs> it's just teabagging ladies it's literally just teabagging <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's you need to know which eye it's hitting that's yeah, the double exactly. blind part <laughs> i need to know is this a real cock uh from like real doll or is this a really good dick i don't know hopefully it's the real thing because otherwise you have to warm it up first <laughs> They warm up the stunt cocks. That's, it's like in the gynecologist's office. Where's the fluffer? Oh. <laughs> we need a fluffer for women on set. I know. Yes, definitely. Because lube is just not enough when it's on set. Mm -mm. This is a tragedy that in our time that there has not been. Wait, have they? Did they ever go over to using fluffers for women or did they just go, we can throw lube at you? No, I mean, they're just starting now to do consent monitors, but the fluffers for women just still has not been a thing. But I think the male performers just sort of volunteer for that as a, a you know, an aside anyway. So the good male performers. But maybe, you know, it's just, it's, you know, they don't have to pay extra for that, you know, the producers. So. Guys, like, don't worry, I'll go in. I, I'm hungry anyway. I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even have to pay a vet. <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> That's whatever I've gotten invited on a set to go have a look. I'm just like, I, I got you covered. I'll do what you need. Lena, I'm there for you. Yeah. I mean, sorry. <laughs> So that third voice, by the way, you guys are hearing on the show today is we have the educator and executive director of the Erotic Museum of Las Vegas on the show with us, uh, Victoria Hardman. Victoria, I'm so happy to have you on the show today. Well, I really appreciate you guys inviting me on. Um, Alice, I followed you on Twitter and I have to like really admit that um, I have to make sure to bring a second pair of yoga pants with me to work because every time I read your Twitter, I laugh my ass off. So um and you she know, is a Twitter maven. Yeah, yeah, I am a prolific Twitter user and I just chuckle every day. And every once in a while, you know, at my age, you never know what's going to leak out. So, <laughs> so. It's like, yeah, I, come on, girls, let's just talk about what happens to the female party as we get older. But anyway, that's another topic for another day. <laughs> I'm a few years beyond Alice and things, they, things have changed down below. Yes, they do. They don't, like they give you some warnings about your thirties. They're like, yeah, you hit like second, like puberty and you get like a second wind of being ultra horny in your thirties and they don't warn you. Oh, I've gotten some other kind of second winds, but sure, continue. They don't warn you that like things get leaky unexpectedly or that things occasionally get drier unexpectedly. Yep. Like there's, there's a moisture imbalance issue. Yep. And then when you get to be my age and your doctor puts you on testosterone and next thing you know, you're literally a teen male. What? So, what? Yeah. Let's explain this because yeah. that's not a like. Right. Right. And a lot of women, they actually we don't we, we don't discuss that. Right. Because those of us over 50, we don't have sex anymore, apparently. But um, that does. Allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> um, <laughs> like my children say, no, that's just mom. She's just a freak. So whatever. But uh, no, you know, you get to a certain so age. You're jerking off into socks. <laughs> well, depending. I mean, depending on how much testosterone you take, you did have some clitoral growth. So there's that. 
But uh, sometimes a doctor will put you on testosterone if you kind of start struggling with low libido. For me, it was actually just like I had brain fog all the time and I was constantly raging like I wanted to road rage. The minute they put me on testosterone, I got really calm and started dating a lot. So (laughs) it was a really good thing. But it was fascinating experience. Now you know what you have to look forward to. (laughs) Wow. Is it just low dose testosterone will kind of balance out? other? uh... Well, it depends on what you mean by low dose. So the average genetic woman has between like, I think the levels are 45 to 110 uh, blood volume, right? And the average um, genetic male is like 200 to 900. And mine was at like 0.01. So the doctor was like, okay, well, let's put you on this dose. And he slowly raised it. And I started noticing a little bit of like bristle right on my chin, right? And I, and, and oh. growth in some other parts. And I went, well, that's kind of cool. Wow. And uh, so I went to the doctor and then he goes, well, let's just test your levels. And I tested it 927. Jesus. <laughs> so I'm like, I, I was going to say, are, like, are you having anger issues? Are you doing, are you doing risky things? And I'm like, no, I'm totally Zen dude. He's like, well, let's lower it anyway. So you don't have a heart attack. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like I was I was about to say my brother's trans and I know there are other things in the mix there like like uh, certain blockers and whatnot. Yep. But like, I feel like if you're at the testosterone level, like and they have to work hard to get someone who's trans to have the yep. levels of the typical of the gender that they're transitioning to. Yep. Uh, so I'm like, man, if you were up to 900, you took really well at testosterone, <laughs> I would say. I just like have to scratch my head and I said, Mom, is there something you're not telling me here? She's like, I don't know Ooh. what you're talking about. So I've always had a commanding presence whenever I've entered the room and interrupted women. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I do have a squeaky voice now. So I'm going through the the voice change, you know, from teen to adult. So as a researcher, it's been really interesting to watch that shift in myself because it gives me some understanding of what actually happens when a trans person is transitioning, especially from, you know, as they use testosterone. And I I really appreciate that perspective because now it's not so foreign anymore. But did you find that your voice got a little lower or? It's cracking. Um, I used to have oh, wow. kind of a higher voice. And now it's uh, just like when you hear teen boys, when they start to, their voice starts to crack. If my voice goes too high, it cracks and um, it's more, wow. it's huskier now. Yeah. And apparently that's a permanent change. So, and I don't really mind. It's fine. I don't really mind it. So. My brother went through puberty for the second time in his <laughs> mid thirties. And like, I, it, here's the thing, like he's older than me. So of course the older sibling always gets to pick up the younger sibling when they go through puberty. So I got to finally get my revenge in his <laughs> mid thirties when his, when his voice sounded like this all the time. Oh man, it was great. Like I, like I'm not saying to pick on your trans friends when they're going through their transition. I'm saying if you have a sibling who transitioned, you get to have fun with that. Yes. <laughs> especially if you're the younger one and they picked on you. Oh, revenge is sweet. <laughs> Very specific situation, but no, it was, it was fun to see him get to become, you know, who he felt he was already. So that was a good time. Nice. Yeah. So yeah. Victoria, you're also a porn and paraphernalia researcher. Elaborate. Okay. So originally uh, the pornography study was as an aside to what I was doing with paraphilias. And I, so just as you know, I mean, we're, we're all joking around here, but I'm going to take it in a serious uh, tone for a second. So yeah. um, uh, due to a personal tragedy, I wanted to be the researcher that could figure out why people commit certain violent acts. Okay. And I embarked on an academic career. It was more of a healing from the old, my own experience, but also be, to be a, a strong advocate for women who have survived certain types of abuse. 
And my, even my undergraduate work, I was immediately attracted to unusual sexual behavior, in particular violent sexual behavior. And so that was the path that I went on. And during that sort of exercise um, through my undergraduate years, I stumbled upon necrophilia. And there are a whole host of behaviors that come with that particular paraphilia. And you've heard of the Ted Bundys and so forth and so on, right? The high profile yeah. uh, assailants that we've had in our culture throughout the last few decades. Uh, but I wanted to actually find out what its origins were. And, you know, at the time I was working in the adult industry um, originally as a performer doing like R-rated horror movies that you see on late night television. And I stumbled upon this gal who was a producer here in town, and she was producing more erotic content that was horror based. Right. And I was immediately drawn to it. I said, you know what, if I'm going to find the people that I want to study, because it has to start somewhere, maybe it starts here. And I dove into the industry and became a really pretty visible B-movie actress and started just picking the brains of the people who were eventually booking me to do their little individual films and so forth and so on, custom requests and everything. And the whole purpose was to do research while I was doing my undergraduate and then later my graduate work. And I thought, these are the folks where I can find its origins. And I thought I was a hotshot. And I, was, I even, you know, thought I was a big, I'm going to be on Time Magazine because I coined the term progressive paraphilia, because I'm going to be able to find these people before they offend, and I'm going to be a big shot, and I'm going to save the world. And I had, you know, my savior complex and the whole thing. Well, the great thing about science is we're generally wrong. Yep. And as I went into um, my PhD work and really started doing the hard research on this, I found that my hypothesis was completely wrong hmm. and that the people who congregated online to exchange pornography of this particular type where they were exchanging pornography that depicted scenes of necrophilia or the various colors thereof, because there's all kinds of subgenres in that. Oh. These were purely paraphilic individuals. They actually abhorred the idea of real violence. They had craved wow. consenting partners. And once they found each other online, which totally, I didn't see this coming. Not only did their maladaptive behavior reduce in terms of their ability to connect with other people, but they were altruistic to the newcomers into their community to help them understand, no, you're not a bad person. Just is just a fetish that you have. And we all here are on the same quest as you are is to share these experiences with other consenting adults. Wow. Right. And these are people that as children had so much self-loathing and terror about themselves that they contemplated suicide. They were constantly afraid they were going to hurt other people. And it turned out completely the opposite. So that's the direction I went in. And that's kind of how I started getting on the path of studying pornography, uh, because there's this sort of idea that violent pornography can contribute to uh, violence against women. And at least in the research that I've done, which is a, just a microcosm, right? With the most violent pornography that's out there, at least those that are paraphilic who are seeking it out, who are, do not want to offend, we're not seeing that transition from they look at the material and then, and then they offend. They just don't. So to me, that was like wow. a real eye opener in terms of, you know, who offends and who doesn't. And then I started getting exposed to what are called cluster B behavioral disorders, which you have the narcissistic personality disorder and sociopathic um, disorder and so forth. And that's when you see people crossing over into offending and they happen to have a nebulous paraphilia around that, generally the personality disorder existed first, like with someone like Ted Bundy, right? 
And mm. I don't actually study the offenders. I have a colleague, Dr. Lee Malore, that I do sometimes some work with and some writings with. He studies the actual folks that get investigated by the FBI. I study the, the paraphilics who, you know, have their online porn community. And that's how I started gotcha. getting into pornography and getting interested in, like, what are the effects of pornography? Because at least from the research that I've done and a few others have done about violent pornography, we're just not seeing that manifest. So how does pornography affect us? And that's how I got involved with a larger group of colleagues that study pornography. And we just finished a study at the museum because um, we were curious what the demographics were about people come to the museum and what their attitude towards pornography is. And we're, we just finished that study in August. And so we're writing the paper on that now. So what are some of the findings? Um, well, interestingly enough, mostly liberals come to the Erotic Heritage Museum. <laughs> what? I no, know. I'm I was shocked. so surprised by that. I figured like people from the Bible Belt would come. I'm shocked they don't come there straight from Ken Ham's museum. I know, right? And there was an even division between married folks and unmarried folks. But, you know, largely people that come to the museum already have more liberal attitudes towards sexuality. So I haven't been able to change any minds yet as the director there. Working on it. Won't give up. <laughs> it's interesting, um, the preconceived notions people have about certain types of viewers of pornography. Like, people make the assumption of, well, if you're a huge porn viewer, if you're obsessed, you must, uh, like, look at women in a more degrading way, whereas we're now having evidence to show where it's actually the opposite. Yep. People who tend to be super fans of porns tend to have more egalitarian views of, you know, women. Yep. Generally, when it comes to, like, equal rights, mm -hmm. they tend to be a lot more progressive in their views. Yeah, I think you're referring to the study that was done at the AVN Awards, perhaps. I think that's one of the ones I saw. Yeah. My co-host on the Sex Nerd podcast, Josh, he was one of the researchers on that. And Barb Brentz, nice. who, was, who was leading one of that or co-leading that study, she's a professor here and we interact pretty frequently. Um, she's very active in the community advocating for sex workers. And uh, um, yeah, I mean, that's what we're finding in that study and in other studies is that people that watch pornography are more egalitarian in their attitudes towards, you know, gender and, and especially like women and women's empowerment, surprisingly. And we've got the research to back that up now. I'm sure they'll you know, do more, more studies on that because you want it to be reproducible. But so far, that's what we're finding. So like, what, how does that throw like sex addiction on its head or any of these other things that, you know. Sex addiction's not real. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> that's another conversation. Or, let me phrase it. That's another argument for another day. Yes. <laughs> if you haven't listened to our episode of Medito Women, go back and listen to that one. We cover it for an hour. Yeah. But uh, backtracking for a hot second, you talked about necrophilia and uh, subgenres within necrophilia? Yeah. So there is a super rich set of subgenres in necrophilia. Now, most people think of necrophilia and they think of, oh, it's someone who's, you know, having sexual intercourse with a corpse. And as I was sort of making my way through these communities, studying them, there were people who had certain particular um, preferences towards how the eyes rolled as they were being depicted, oh being a asphyxiated or asphyxia. You know, when you hear about self-inflicted asphyxia as a, a sexual um, behavior, that's very dangerous. I'm not advocating for it at all. It, there has have been several deaths because of it. So please don't do that. Then there are also subgenres that are, you know, death-like, like the sleepy fetish where yeah. they'd rather have the person be asleep than dead or the person who dies in their arms and then they wash their bodies and prep them for burial. So sleeping beauties. Sleeping beauties, right. Uh, mm. Then there are hypnosis subgenres in that umbrella. 
where they take over uh, mind control of that person. And then there's one one that I didn't even anticipate, which is Amazon fighting to the death. Who saw that coming? What? Yeah, Amazon fighting to the death. And the deaths are gruesome, but it's two women. And so therefore, you know, whatever. Um, so there's a lot of subgenres. And sometimes they get really, really particular. I'm picturing them having a threesome with like the half passed out uh, uh, Amazon that won and the dead Amazon. Right. Like that seems, you know, that's, it's, it's like maybe they see that as the only way they'll get a threesome is that right. one of the women has to be yeah. dead. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? You are a lot closer to being on the money than, than you realize because a lot of the people that indulge in this kind of stuff, that's how they fantasize about having access to dating partners because some because of their fetishes, oftentimes they don't. Oh, so you are right on the money there. Oh man, yeah, I didn't want to be right. <laughs> you're right. It right. also kind of makes the sleeping one puts it in a little bit more perspective because you're also making an assumption. There's no other way this person would want to have sex with me right. unless they were completely unconscious. Yep. Not in a rapey sort of no, way. No, 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 no. That's not, at least the fantasy no, is not is like that, right? That person, even if they're asleep, it's more about access to someone that they might not normally have access to than an act of violence, if that makes sense. Is it a low self-esteem slash no one would want me kind of thing? That's a more likely a self-perspective that these folks have about themselves. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, that's unfortunate. We try to impart to our listeners that there is someone out there for everyone, that there is someone who will match your fetish out there for everyone. There's, And I, I love hearing from you that there's a community out there that people connect with with this to try to find, you know, find out more about it, try to find out how to fulfill uh, this fetish. And it's like, I think, you know, obviously without the dead person. Right. But I think one of the takeaways from this is that you are wanted by someone out there mm -hmm. and you're it, you don't have to be alone. Yeah, there's been marriages in those communities. So, Aww. yeah, I know. Like, uh, I remember the role one play is great. Role play, one, and one in particular, uh, there are two people. They were a heterosexual uh, couple, and she had a fetish for being dead and having her feet played with, and he had a fetish for dead women that he could play with like their, their feet. feet. And so then they got married. <laughs> There's never been a more perfect internet made union in this I life. Right. I know. Oh man. Yeah. yeah. That is so wonderful. So it was an interesting experience and I'm glad I had it. Cause you know, I originally, oh, wow. before I went into the museum field, I, I trained as a therapist um, and I worked at ripe crisis centers and so forth for several years. And, and I was going to go into private practice and it really helped bring me to a place of way more empathy, right? Less fear, more empathy. And uh, I was really glad to have that experience. So. so how long have you been the executive director over at the Vegas Sex Museum? The I, I, It's Erotic Heritage Museum, you said? Yep, Erotic Heritage Museum, yep. I got there uh, in 2012 as an intern while I was working on my uh, first PhD and uh, stayed through uh, my second PhD and then left for a little bit and came back and I've been there as the director for six years now. Nice. So, yeah. What kind of exhibits can people expect going in? Oh, <laughs> you, well, you, you sound that was, that was a great sound. <laughs> that is the most turned on someone has sounded on, on this podcast. And we talk about fucking. So we're, we're excited. <laughs> 
<laughs> now, I, uh, I have an almost obsessive passion for this work. and uh, We need to hang out when next the world is open. I'm just saying. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And you guys need to come to Vegas. I don't party. I just hang out at work and that's enough of a party. Seriously. Like we partied at the AVNs and we were so dead because we're not partiers. So <laughs> right. when we're when the AVNs happen again yeah. and the world is allowed to congregate, let's Vegas it a little. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, ladies, right now, you guys are pushing me to my 11 because it's I'm on the East Coast recording this at 11 p.m. on a Friday. I don't know about you guys, but this is past my bedtime. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I usually get up at like four or five and it's like eight o'clock here. And usually I'm on the couch like <laughs> with my eyes rolling back <laughs> in my head. I, I was up till 7 a.m. for no good reason other than that my brain was like, you're still awake. So tonight my plan is to take a really strong sleeping pill at like midnight and pray. <laughs> Fingers yeah. crossed. Yeah, you don't have that awake buzz where nothing will work, right? <laughs> so as for exhibits, well, I'm really fortunate. The gentleman who owns the building is a very well-known um, gentleman's club chain owner. His name's Harry Money. He owns the Deja Vu chain of clubs and oh, he yeah, opened yeah. this museum 12 years ago with Dr. Ted McElvena, who was the head of the Institute for Advanced Study of Human Sexuality in San Francisco, where I got my, where I did my graduate work. And uh, so they collaborated together and they opened the museum. Harry and Ted both are virulent. They don't like the suppression of speech. Let's just like sum it up there. We can go with and that. Yeah. And they fought for 30 years together in various court cases, I think all the way up to the Supreme Court against a censorship, right? Nice. Dr. Ted being the academic uh, testimony and then Harry being the pornographer who got in trouble a lot. And uh, <laughs> Makes for a great couple. Of course. Yeah, right. You know, you've got the religious person and the pornographer together. And that's like kind of the moniker of the preacher and the pornographer. I swear to God, I've seen documentaries on them. This sounds very familiar. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. There's a one that was recently done by Robert James. Uh, he's a well-known documentarian and he did one called The Night Minister. And that was about Dr. Ted. I'm almost sure I've seen that. Yeah, it's he's he's great. So they opened the museum together and the mission of the museum is not only to preserve erotic artifacts and art, but to look at sexuality through science, through art and uh, nice. to stir as much controversy as possible. Oh, our kinds of people. Yeah. Yay. So we have everything from artifacts dating back to 1500 BC to Hitler's mistress's underwear in the museum. Wow. So how'd you get that? Right. <laughs> and how'd you verify that? <laughs> That's a multi-step question. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, you know, the museum is divided up into areas and one of them is our history area. And so uh, we started off with um, political parody and a giant six foot tall Trump that, you know, is completely offensive. And then we move into Weimar, Germany, and some of the artwork from Weimar, Germany, um, which is of special interest to me being someone that was, you know, that is German and was raised in Germany. And then we get into sex in the Third Reich. Do you have any of Hitler's watercolors? No. <laughs> I don't even know where I would get something like that. Look, you have his mistress's friggin' panties, which is amazing. I know. I have his mistress's under. Uh, yeah. Other than that, I have a piece of the wall. That's about it. Like, I got a piece of the wall in Hitler's mistress's underwear. I've said it before. If you go back in time <laughs> and you want to make sure you're still on not on morally questionable ground, don't plan to kill baby Hitler. Get <laughs> teenage Hitler into art school. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yvette, I would argue uh, all you have to do is cock block Hitler's dad. Did you guys know that Hitler was a result of incest? 
Yes. Okay, even more of a reason you should cock block yeah. Hitler's dad. Look, get that yeah. poor incestuous chancellor into art school and things would have been just as bad because this was all the result of fucking uh, socioeconomic conditions and, right. and and the burgeoning middle. Yeah, anyways, I'm just saying yeah. it wouldn't have stopped at anything, but still, it'll make <laughs> us feel better inside if, you know, like my other theory is that somebody has already invented time travel, gone back, tried to do this a bunch of times and Hitler was the best we could too right because <laughs> it would have been far worse if it was anything else oh no before we get hate mail for that I, <laughs> I i have found the branches of my family tree that were pruned by hitler so please don't send us hate mail for that it's a joke just i have a 60 year old man in australia who's confirmed like oh yeah half your family has burned in the chambers yeah right yeah that was great that was great <laughs> just so let you know since you're german we're blaming this all on you personally i, I got it no. <laughs> and you know what i and and fairly, we were raised from little to completely embrace German guilt. And I have a <laughs> bunch of it. And um, oh, and that's why a part of why I do the work that I do to remind everybody of the horrors so that they don't have to carry the same guilt. And I do it willingly. I do it willingly. And it's fine. As the daughter of a Catholic and a Jew, my only religion now is guilt. So it's OK. We it's <laughs> we're, we all have the same religion. It's guilt. Yeah, it's guilt. <laughs> yeah. So we have that. So we have the exhibit uh, Sex in the Third Reich. And why I wanted to have it in there was because of my upbringing and because I was sort of the tail end, you know, of the 80s kid at the tail end of the denazification process. Right. And just yeah. before the wall came down and so forth. And uh, so I wanted to point out how ideology and symbolism can be used especially to go after sexual minorities. And that's what the whole exhibit is about. And it wow. happened, so happened that at the time I had a curator who was Jewish and she said, I found this interesting artifact. Would you be interested? And I said, well, what is it? She said, well, it's Hitler's mistress's underwear. There's only three pairs in the oh world. And God. it just got all kinds of coverage in the news, in the news. Like, <laughs> you know, and I was like, yeah. So I called my boss and he said, how much? And I asked the, the owner and he said, this much and my my boss wrote the check and flew me out there and the instant <sighs> their panties that you flew to retrieve that's incredible i flew to retrieve them and that wasn't even the the most interesting part i got to this tiny little town in ohio where they had one main street and going into the only restaurant on that main street, everybody that was female had blue or purple hair. That is not what I expected you to say. No, uh, there wasn't a person of color for miles. We walked down, found this shop where the underwear was. And I was focused on making sure to check its authenticity. I had all the lights with me and everything to check. And the, and, you know, no, I knew what to look like with the threading because uh, Afa Brown had monogrammed the underwear herself by hand. While I'm doing that, the person that I was traveling with, who was making sure the money was being counted because we had to go cash that check and take a bunch of cash into this place because oh he wouldn't God. take a check. And as my travel companion is making sure the money isn't going to disappear, I get an elbow in the side from my companion. And he says, you might want to look around because you're a little too focused on what you're doing. And I looked around and all I saw was Nazi paraphernalia. Holy shit. Every wall was covered in it. And then right in front of me, a giant white hooded robe with a stain on it. And the owner of the shop noticed me looking sort of in an alarming manner. And he said, oh, that's a real blood stain. Did you want that for your museum too? Oh my God. Oh. And I went, you know, 
I'm not exactly sure what I would, um, you know, I, with sex and the, th- you know, so um, we're just going to go ahead and get this and, and we'll be on our way. And he's like, okay. And uh, we left. Oh, these were not exactly people who were like, let's, let's talk about our past so we can know no. not to repeat it. They're like, let's keep this around oh. in case we need to make patterns for these hoods. I'm so sorry you went through that. No, you, you got to remember, like growing up in Germany in this like denazification, like re-education process and, yeah. you know, totally internalizing the things that my forefathers had done and walking into a place and not even realizing it was that place until I was, I looked around, I get to be oh hyper-focused and I don't pay attention to things and just looking around going, it, it stayed with me for days because I was so mortified that I had even stepped foot into some place oh like that and that something like a place like that existed. Like I haven't been exposed. And of course, you know, I have, I've had to educate myself on some of the ways in which I've been blind to racism, but to have it be so in my face in such a, a way, it was an experience I had never had before. I've never had since, and I still have a hard time processing. And that wasn't the reason why I was there to get those panties, right? My reason was for exactly the opposite of that for the oh. museum. So it was um, that was one of those memorable once in a lifetime experiences that oh I don't think God. I'll be repeating. So <laughs> I have all kinds of stories to tell about the artifacts that we've picked up over the years. That said, though, who else would preserve the panties of Hitler's mistress? Like literally no one else. Yeah, that, right. that does seem like a niche uh, market right there. Yeah. I almost want to ask how much you can't disclose how much you guys paid for them, unfortunately. Can you give us a number of figures it cost? It was six. It was five figures. Okay, oh, okay. five. I can I can understand five. I was thinking five in the tens. Yeah, tens five of thousands. Figures. I can understand. I can. Yeah, I can five, understand yeah. anywhere in that range. Yeah, that's yeah. were an Ava bronze. So on to lighter topics. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You mentioned that was one of the more shocking exhibits. What are some other interesting exhibits that you have or have had? One of the, my favorites actually is upstairs, which is the uh, World Erotic Collection. And we have Ooh. artifacts from, I think, 27 different countries that date back to 1500 BC. And a lot of people, especially you have that argument now well, porn is a new thing and it's bad and it's it's corrupting our youth and so forth. And I'm like, would you like to see the 15,000, you know, the dildos upstairs? Because I think you might want you'd be challenged by that. Um, <laughs> and what's your definition of pornography? Because, you know, stone dildos at the time were probably considered what we call now pornography. And it tends to throw their argument on. If there's a hole that we will plug it, even if we're cavemen. Yeah. And artistry. And and uh, we have a, a, a leaf a literal leaf, like three, a set of three leaves from India that have erotic paintings on them that are 400 years old. Right. So, Oh my um, God. Yeah. I I mean, our artifacts are, are, I'm always going to want to have more fascinating artifacts, but for the size we are, I mean, we're not the size of Smithsonian. We're about 24,000 square feet, but we are the largest sex museum on the face of the planet that I'm aware of so far, unless someone's like added a few floors to theirs. Um, but we try to incorporate that, you know, with the art that we have there, too. And, and our downstairs is more like science and history. We have a really large evolution exhibit. People go, why is there an evolution exhibit in the sex museum? And well, because we're, you know, sex and studying sex is also about reproduction and evolution and how we've crossed continents and how it's changed hip shape and so forth and so on. And that's what we do at the Erotic Heritage Museum, because we're talking about our erotic heritage. And that spans millennia. 
Uh, one question, because there's, I, I see people arguing back and forth on if there is a difference, if there is a line between porn and erotica, and on how all porn is exploitative, and if you separate it out, the stuff that's not exploitative is erotica. And I'm like, I don't think there's a difference between porn and erotica. I think if you use an image to get yourself off, it's all porn. And I think most porn is not exploitative in modern day because it's it, we're, we're better at, at treating humans... Uh, equitably in, in the industry now. What are your thoughts on this from seeing a lot of porn throughout history? You're absolutely right. Uh, I think the definition of pornography depends on the time and place you find yourself in. If you were an artist, uh, you know, 600 years ago who was drawing a nude fresca, then either it'd be celebrated by the king or you would be drawn and quartered. So, and let me uh, kind of take it in a different direction. When we're talking about pornography, I think one of the central parts of studying erotica, whether it's modern day pornography or, you know, cave drawings, you know, tens of thousands of years ago, it's an unfiltered view into that particular society, their sexual mores, uh, what's important to them, how they interact with each other. There's so much we can learn from erotic art, which includes pornography about what's going on in society. We have an exhibit actually um, upstairs on the second floor. It's our round room where we have, it's sex in the media and we have about 50 different televisions in there playing all kinds of what is considered pornography dating back to 1920 until about 1975. And you can watch what the society was like. And now this is just in the United States, right? What American society was what, or what it was in 1920, where it came to what kind of depictions of sexuality they had in 1970. First of all, there's a lot more, more hair, but you can learn a lot from these unfiltered views on pornography. And when we talk about modern day pornography, say like the commercially available that's been since the late 70s and early 80s, you can learn a lot about that too. You can learn about body type, what kind of sexual activity is in style at the time. So pornography serves a purpose in us getting a snapshot of what sexual behavior you find in a particular culture, you know, and we've seen that change over the course of every decade in the United States. So just imagine looking that, at that from a global perspective and over the span of hundreds or thousands of years. That's kind of what our job is at the Erotic Heritage Museum is to preserve that and to look at that. I mean, it's really fascinating to see even within the short span of, you know, if we look at the 50s to where we are now. I mean, when we covered Yvette, you know, the I Dream of Genie porn, I Dream of Twinkie, we talked about Barbara Eden and um, how she was, yeah, how she couldn't show her belly button. And that was just way too risque. It was a step too far, you know, and she had to argue to, you know, even expose her midriff. And that was in the 50s. You know what? Uh, this is my own personal hypothesis. I have no idea if it's true. But I think one of the reasons that there's so much beautiful art from like uh, throughout the years and so many beautiful paintings is uh, because of the lack of photography. People, I think, had to, they were like, okay, no, I need to get off to something. I need to learn a draw. <laughs> they couldn't do a quick selfie dick pic. They're like, I got to make a good painting to jerk off to because this has to last me a while. This is the last <laughs> thing I'm going to, I can't just like, they knew they weren't going to get anything new for a while. So it's like, make this one good. And I think that's why it took them two months to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they were immersed every day. I'm going to be looking at this one for a while. Don't make it a quick stick figure. I'm going to make this one luscious. Mm-hmm. 
Just imagine someone who does stonework. I mean, that's months and months and months, and they're stroking every corner and curve over and over again. I mean, you have a one year like experience of you know being in a state of erotica or, or an eroticism. So, <laughs> why do you think Michelangelo had a scaffolding? He was up there jerking off to all of his naked paintings. Mm-hmm. That's what he was. That he was like, I, I'll, it'll be finished when I make an end of it. I'm just, yeah, I'm just, yeah. He's just praying the Pope doesn't show up to t- check on his progress. I'll be finished when I make an end of it my god just for our patreons who could see the video of me doing that i apologize that was a bit much (laughs) so i've been i've been watching the show succession and it's just it's a have you guys seen it or heard Uh, of it yes no no. i just started binging it it's on season two and it's like it's following a family that kind of runs a fox news type empire and like you don't fully love or hate anyone in it and there's this one guy played by macaulay culkin's brother that just he can't stop jerking off in front of mirrors I don't know. It's just, it's a very, I, I just, I, I don't know why that popped into my head as I was making that motion. So it's been, I binged <laughs> it in like a day and a half. It's a really good show. That is my um, plug for the show. That was completely not related to anything in that we've been talking about. I apologize. We raised an interesting point and I have a question. Is it that mostly like cis women use that motion than say cis men? Is it, I mean, Inquiring minds want to know because I am you mean constantly using that motion. motion. Like, do we do that more than like cishet men do? I rarely ever do it. See, okay, we need to do a study. You mean, do we use it when we're making fun of the jerk off motion or do we like? Yeah. Or even in frustration, you're like, whatever, you know, when we're mad at something like, is that something that we do more than say, (laughs) next time we're allowed to be around humans and like ask a (laughs) hundred random men and a hundred random women on the street, do you use this motion? That'll be the next thing on the on Family Feud. When my, what does this motion? <laughs> thousand people surveyed. Uh, oh, says man. obvious How? sexual answer. Steve Harvey in shocked face. God, Steve Harvey afterwards will be lecturing them on why they're very bad. It, it's uh, if a woman says, "Oh, jerk off motion." Yeah, then we're not ladylike. I know. He'd be like, "You will never attract." demand doing things like that just fuck you steve harvey oh yeah (laughs) learn how to read a fucking cue card sorry (laughs) did i say that out loud Ah, you're in trouble now (laughs) look steve harvey and and terry cruz are both very misogynistic and i have issues with them and fuck them both (laughs) just i mean steve harvey we can hate more because he's actually more homophobic and and there's so many more terrible stories about him so terry cruz is just anti-porn and like i like him but he has this issue yeah but steve harvey we could just all be like no no. <laughs> like he just passed. Uh, yeah. yeah. Terry Cruz is what thing where it's like 90% really wonderful human being. And then oh, yeah. he has these couple of fucking, why did you fuck it up on these? <laughs> He's just getting the wrong information in these reeducation. That's it's, all. <laughs> he, he apparently had, he, he said he had a porn addiction or I don't know if it was a porn addiction or a sex addiction, but it's like, maybe you just need to have more fulfilling sex with your partner and you won't rely on the porn. So I don't know. And maybe you just didn't want to admit that they were going through a rough patch, so he had to rely on pornography more. Or maybe he just has internalized shame and someone needs to tell him that it's okay. 
Yeah. It's okay. It's okay to enjoy porn. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay. It, and you know, we, really we talk about that with some of the colleagues that we talk about with sex addiction or porn addiction. Like there are some people who will watch porn for 15 minutes every morning, have their orgasm. And it's just part of their, well, they, you know, they get up, they shower, they have their coffee, they have their orgasm and then they get on with their day. And there yeah. are other people that'll do that and have immediate guilt afterwards because of everything that they were raised with and the messaging that <sighs> they got. And then they're like, you know, and it really, I think it has to do with, uh, you know, religious upbringing and mm -hmm. the kind of messages they got around sex. So yeah. Terry, it's okay. You're allowed to come, Terry. It is okay. <laughs> so when I was Victoria, when I was at the Amsterdam sex museum over there, mm -hmm. they had a massive uh, penis that I rode. And uh, guys, to be clear, okay, I should rephrase that. <laughs> so uh, I'm calling Michael now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> No, 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 do you no. know so, what she did it? It was six feet long. Was it gold? Girl. <laughs> yeah. And I uh -huh. wrapped my legs around it. Okay. Oh, he girl. saw the photos and I was fully clothed wearing a blazer. Okay. Well, obviously you wear a blazer to shower. <laughs> Who doesn't have a shower blazer? <laughs> Only the unwashed masses, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I dressed up today. I wore a blazer. Today. Do you feel human again? She'll be showering in it later. <laughs> One can only hope. <laughs> yes, the sex museum is wonderful over there in Amsterdam. Did you enjoy it? I did. But my question is, do you guys have like a massive like penis that people can like take photos with or wrap their bodies around? I like to think that's a staple of every sex museum. Right. So again, I come back to Harry. Um, he also owns several of the Hustler Clubs. And that big gold penis that you ride is over at the Mail Review. Well, the Mail Review when it was open. But, you know, now the clubs are closed here. There's no strip clubs open right now. But oh. that big gold rideable penis is over at the Hustler Club right now. So just a reminder to our listeners, since all of the strip clubs are closed, there are many strippers working as cam girls right now yes. who desperately need your support. So what I'm saying is you should support my old roommate, Bad Girl Rider, over on Instagram. <laughs> so, <laughs> look, she's she works hard for her money. She can twerk in a split. That is okay. difficult. Camming is not easy. So definitely no. support. Support, 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 support. Absolutely. Just the amount of urinary tract infection she must get from diddling herself for six hours a day. <laughs> I don't understand how she does it. Perpetual soreness. She must walk funny most of the time now. <laughs> it's funny. She says the hardest part of it is just having to put on your makeup to be that level of perfect yeah. all day. Like She's yeah. like, yeah, the, the being on camera and being like, you know, the girlfriend experience on cam, that's not bad. It's just the makeup. I'm like, oh, I feel that. Mm-hmm. So, mm -hmm. man. Yeah, like you're a photographer and modeling, yeah. yeah. But go go out and support a cam girl. They don't have a place they can strip right now. They're stripping for you. They're stripping for Jesus. They're stripping for you. <laughs> I've seen, like, drive through strip clubs pop up in, like, Texas. Yeah, there's man. one in, there's a few in Oregon, too. Yep. I feel like I want to do that just for the experience. Like, if I do that, I want to be like, hey, can I record this for my podcast? <laughs> They're going to be like, <laughs> you no, you can't. You know it's a better experience than Sonic. <laughs> Well, but I mean, now that it's getting cold, how do they dance outside? Do they have like a see-through like plastic hoodie that has like interior warming like I, or heating pads or something? Like how are they doing that? It's like in Oregon where it's cold now. Like how are they doing that outside? 
global warming. Okay. As a former marathoner, I have a theory. It was running was best if it was like 45 degrees out. Uh, so as long as they're like constantly moving and keeping themselves like heated up through some exercise, they're okay. But I'm just saying that pull. Oh, if they're <laughs> dancing and there's that pull, the, I feel that could cause some coldness that could not be abated via exercise. Right. <laughs> Yeah, frostbitten lips, not on your face. (laughs) Oh, that's unpleasant sounding. There's a new industry popping up. Self-warming stripper poles. (laughs) We bought it. Actually, I think that we have something going on here. So we just need a couple of our engineer listeners to write in. I'll work on all the marketing and get uh, some, you know, a little factory in China to make this. Get that business license. (laughs) We'll patent this shit. Like a cozy, like they put over uh, <laughs> speculums, just like this nice big warm cozy that goes over it and you take it off. Well, then you won't have thigh slip, right? So you won't slip, you know, because you have to stick. But if you don't have the stick because it's too cold and it's too cold to wrap your thigh around it, you need something else to hold on to when you're doing those tricks. But it has to be a certain kind of like, you know, fluffy on there. Otherwise, you're just going to slide right down. Engineers, email us. Info two girls, one mic. We need, we're trying to save the stripper's inner thighs. This is, this is important. <laughs> Fuck COVID. We need to solve this. That's right. It's a good distraction. <laughs> National emergency. Yep. We're, we're there for my old roommate's thighs. Okay. She's, she's a very tidy girl. She's a tidy human. Like 20% of her is her thighs. <laughs> Tidy human. That's a lot of her body. She's like 98 pounds soaking wet. Oh, yeah, but she, I bet she can do some amazing tricks if she could put her mind to it, right? Oh, yeah. If you don't have that weight on you. You can do just about anything. <laughs> Basically, yeah. yeah. Just little, little bitty human, tiny ball of muscle, just all dancey and flexy and bendy. And, and yeah, that's she's a talented stripper. Throw her some money. That's all I'm saying. Victoria, you've been on sets. You've been in museums. You've been in strip clubs. What's the most interesting or weird experience you've had? Oh. You're like, give me a year to figure that one out. Um, What's your go-to party story? <laughs> there's a couple. So um, many years ago in the museum, oh gosh, I think this is when I was still an intern. I think it was, must have been like 2010. Had a, a gal come in, uh, maybe around my age, mid-50s, what have you. And uh, upstairs we have a, a peep show exhibit and uh, the history of the peep show, right? All the way from uh, ancient Samaria forward to the modern day peep booths that you have or well you don't have them really in vegas anymore they've been replaced with like um what are they called those um i like how you just breezed by oh ancient samaria shows, ancient ancient samaria, samaria. All the way like forward. don't worry yeah, i'm yeah, getting yeah. back to that and asking you <laughs> about peep shows in ancient samaria i have yes. questions right before the aqueducts yeah we have like this whole build out of you know the ancient samaria we filling up booths. plumbing yeah. but first live first nude the girls. live new girls right um, but they've mostly been converted into panic rooms here now uh, with erotic themes. But we had this mid-50s woman come in and we have mannequins that are upstairs occupying the peoples. So we just don't have any um, undesirable behavior in them because they tend to be a little bit, you know, enclosed. And, uh, well, I, she just hadn't dated a while. And I guess so she pulled one of the male uh, mannequins out uh. with his intact phallus that happened to be erect because we're, you know, sort of parroting the peep booth experience no. and just right there, put him on the ground and decided to go to town and, you know, rode the white pony, I guess, if you will. And I always thought it would have been a man who would do that with. No, a- no, this was a lady. And so equal whew. opportunity of that. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, we support everyone's <laughs> sexual expression at the Erotic Heritage Museum. and But, you know, we have we have to make sure everyone's consenting to that. And in this case, most of our museum guests would not, believe it or not. And so... Uh, uh, yeah, believe it. 
Yeah, right. So our security dude went up there and was just like, ma'am, we fully support your your uh, pursuing orgasms, but maybe we oh want to have you do that somewhere privately. And she was like, okay. And she got up and, you know, the rest of the staff cleaned off the dildo oh that's attached God. to the mannequin. And we put him back and she went on her way. There was no reason Poor to arrest staff. her because she was fine. Um, so that was one interesting experience. The fact that you were so kind as to be like, you know, it's Vegas. She was having public, like she was nude in public, but fuck it. It's okay. Just, just go on your merit. Go, go do this somewhere else. You know, <laughs> there, there's worse things she could have done. She could have lost her life savings at a casino. She could have gone married to an Elvis. She could have uh, banged but- a magician. Like <laughs> who hasn't done that? It's but Vegas. Instead, she just paid her fee, went in bone a mannequin and was asked to leave and left yep she was she was great she has that story forever like that is <laughs> but do you think she tells it because i don't necessarily know she was sober <laughs> do you think that's her best or her worst vegas story Ooh. we don't know her life and that could like she could be like guys i banged a mannequin in the sexual heritage museum and they didn't fucking arrest me what should i do next <laughs> time i go back like she could be like guys next time i'm gonna steal hitler's mistress's panties like that's her goal next time right yeah so that was a fascinating one and you know what what's interesting is there are anti-nudity ordinances in las vegas now consider that for a moment right and that's another reason why we didn't want to call the cops because there are severe penalties for that kind of thing you cannot be nude on the streets of las vegas even if it's a political statement like at a you know one of those uh world naked bike ride protests um it's illegal being nude in las vegas on the streets is illegal wait 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 Wait, fully nude or or topless topless or nude it's illegal in in nevada oh because in new york you're it's legal to be topless oh well then new york's way more progressive than las vegas it's state by state when they've decided that that lady nipples are not illegal Mm. along with male nipples it's don't worry male nipples are finally legal on facebook oh yeah you got (laughs) uh, alice got uh temporarily banned on facebook for posting a topless male male nipples are are just illegal enough to get alice temporarily uh suspended oh wow i wow Really? And wait, it wasn't just a nipple. It was a guy twisting his own nipples. Oh, and that made it have sexual context, apparently, then. And it was banned because of that. It was so weird. Wow. Who knows? I haven't gotten suspended, but I've had one meme taken down years. Like, I, I think it was from like 2011. It was a picture of someone like all you could see is like their waist and their jeans are unzipped and they have their hand like this far below the top of the belt. And I mm-hmm. forget what the joke was around it, but they're like, this is nudity. I'm like, you can see their belly button and the top of their underwear. You can't even see a face. Yeah, I think we were advertising on our Facebook at one point where it was just a woman in like a full leather gear for our Halloween event that we have, you know, every year. And we were, um, you know, cited for that. And they took it down and we had one mark against us. And we're like, there was like nothing. She wasn't engaging anything. It was just she had the full hood on and the full bodice and there was no parts being exposed. I don't even think she was holding a whip in her hand. It was just like that part. And boop, we got a mark against us. I'm like. 
If it makes you feel any better, getting like one mark against you on Facebook for your page won't hurt you that much. They've dinged me with one mark for, quote, spreading fake news. And the main thing I do is I'm a science writer slash debunker of of all the bunk. Uh, And I was debunking uh, a COVID bullshit thing saying there was a there was a billboard in Times Square that predicted COVID in 2000, whatever the fuck. And I was posting a thing that said, no, it did not. Uh, And they're like, and because I was debunking this fake news, they put up a warning saying I was spreading the fake news. And they're like, it doesn't matter if you take this down and delete it. We are going to ding you for it. I, I'm still getting really good circulation, but still, Facebook does is not. They're not good at their jobs. No, no, not <laughs> really. really. Bad no. at it. No, very no. bad at it. No. Very so bad. you're about to go into another story uh, aside from oh, lady right. boning mannequins, right? Oh, yes. So the other interesting one was we had a gal um, who was from Oregon. Most of our our interesting guests t- tend to be from Oregon, and um, she came in. She had yeah, the whole the whole hippie thing going on because that's very big in Oregon, especially like in Eugene. There the, are hippies it never in really Oregon? left the sixties. Like Eugene, Oregon, never quite left the sixties. And but Portland, you know, they have a lot of sort of the alts kind of thing going on. And and she was from Portland, and she had just flown in, and I don't know what she had imbibed on before she got on the plane, but she had literally come from the airport. And she just came in with her backpack on and just kind of looked around. And we have these um, we have these two beds in our chapel. Um, I'm an ordained minister. And so I sometimes perform weddings at the museum. And we have this chapel. It's mostly made of like six foot tall phalluses and some vagina sculptures and stuff and uh, vulva sculptures. It's like the best wedding venue ever. My, my husband and I eloped. I'm like, I feel <laughs> I missed my chance if I was going to elope anyway. Like when you this, renew your vows. This yes. is, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, surrounded by dicks. And we actually encourage consummation. If you want to consummate your marriage at the time, we will clap. So uh, because we're nice. you know, the kind of... Well, with the kind of space we are, we can do that. And so uh, she just decided she put her bag down and she wasn't interfering with anyone. She put her bag down. She just kind of undressed and decided she wanted to have an orgasm. So started masturbating right there on one of the beds. And these beds face the north side doors or I'm sorry, the south side doors. So, you know, People just come walking in. And so we couldn't quite see her because she was behind one of the walls of the chapel. And so somebody comes up and they're like, hey, so um, there's this young lady over there and she's sort of like got her hands buried deep inside of her. Did you guys know that? And we were like, oh, so (laughs) so we walked (laughs) hands buried. Dang. Yeah. yeah. So we walked over. He said, you know what? Um, Again, uh, we think that's wonderful that you have you're, you're so comfortable to express yourself this way. But, you know, we want to make sure everyone can consent. So if you would, please, you know, we'd appreciate it if you could kind of, you know, put your clothes back on. And she's just kind of got up. She's like, oh, OK, yeah, OK, that's cool. And then she went into the bathroom. She took her stuff. She went into the women's room and um, and started giving herself a bath in the in the sinks. And uh, water was going everywhere. So at that point, we thought, well, maybe. We need what to have the- a little bit more of assistance, so we had to call the police and um, and have her removed. But we were like, we're not going to 86 her or cite her for anything. We just think that maybe she's not quite in charge of her faculties, and so you know maybe she needs a little bit of assistance. Mm-hmm. So um, so that was the other interesting. The masturbating, taking a bath hippie from Oregon that uh, visited the Erotic Heritage Museum a few years ago. <laughs> I have to say, though, it's nice that uh, this isn't a frequent occurrence, like once every month. It's like, oh, once every five to ten years. Yeah. Like, given the amount of lunacy that could happen in Vegas, it's amazing that more does not. Mostly we get is people come in. Now, it says museum, museum, museum all around our building, right? 
they come in and they go, so what's inside? Well, we're a museum. So, uh, you know, we uh, look at history and science and, and art and so forth and so on. And they're just like, oh, so you got them live sex shows up in there? It's like, well, um, you know, there's a common myth that Clark County, um, you know, that there's prostitution or sex work, legalized sex work in Nevada. And that's true. And we have an exhibit about that, uh, about the, the legalization of sex work in Nevada and how that's changed over the years to include people with penises and stuff. But um, it's illegal in Clark County. So you're going to want to, like, you know, call up one of the brothels in Pahrump and, and it can be found on the Internet. And uh, but nope, no live sex shows inside. And then, you know, every once in a while we get the occasional dude who just kind of looks at us. Oh, well, uh, what do you guys do, you know, here? It's like, well, some of us are scholars and some of us are salespeople and uh, some of us are janitors. But that's what it's a museum. And they go, oh, oh, oh. Where are, they, where are the live girls at? Ugh. Somewhere else. Somewhere else. Get out else. of here, Chad. This is a Not museum. Not the museum. <laughs> Not the museum. Oh. But that's about it. Like, we really don't have a lot of issues with people being inappropriate beyond some of uh, the rather um, curious questions that we get. So, <laughs> Just to clarify, did you say that male prostitution is legal in Clark County? Or right, did so I hear that wrong? Not in Clark County. So uh, sex work is illegal in Clark County. Mm -hmm. I believe the laws are... Uh, it has to be a town of under either 150 or 75,000 people. Oh, I didn't know that. Right. So say um, Nye County, which is about 45 minutes from Las Vegas in Pahrump. Uh, we have mm. several brothels there. We have the Chicken Ranch. We have Sherry's Ranch, uh, a few other ranches that are out there. And then we have several up in Lincoln County, up by Reno, et cetera. But it has to be under a certain population for it to be legal, right? And Clark County has 1.5, so 1.5 million, so definitely not yeah, legal in Clark County. And we would like to see some of that changed um, because, you know, you have a lot of women who are doing sex work in Clark County and they have to sort of this like, you know, revolving door of jail and it's not mm -hmm. helping them and it's not changing the, the situation. It's just criminalizing what we think should at least be decriminalized so that they can get services because um, they face more violence on the streets, you know, be having yeah. it being legal. But sex workers here are advocating for total criminal decriminalization. Um, and what we have is legalization in uh, Nye County. But you have to be in the brothel. And generally, you have to stay a couple of weeks. You're tested once a week. But we haven't had an HIV transmission since 1981 in the wow. brothels here. So um, it's it's pretty safe to go to brothels. That's here. basically since HIV was a thing. Yeah, I mean, before you had, you know, PrEP and the medications that are available now. So we have we do have legalized sex work. It's just in certain counties and not in Clark. Yeah, because I know we had someone uh, a while back. We had Alice Little from, uh, she's based in Lyons County um, uh -huh. from the Bunny Ranch. Yep. So, yep. but yeah, I didn't realize that you had to have under a certain population or else... Mm -hmm. I wonder then how that works when populations change and grow over yeah. time. They're like, yeah, well, we know this funded like public services, but never mind. Public services and stuff, yeah. We just hit 150,000 and one, you're illegal. And then a lot of times those brothels close and they, they make it uh. illegal. Um, but a few years ago, you had um, folks, you know, because more and more women are getting to a point of economic independence and people were being asked about sex workers with penises. And so... They cited discrimination and uh, petitioned to the legislature, and then the legislature changed the language in the code, stating very specifically what genitals can get licensing 
in the brothels. And it included people with vaginas, people with vulvas, people with penises and prostates and testicles and so forth. So they were very specific in the language. But now you can have any set of genitals and be a sex worker. Although, surprisingly enough, it didn't go over well because the uh, folks, the individuals who were uh, sex workers at the brothels weren't necessarily in high demand by the ladies who were visiting. So, oh, yeah. The thing that we learned was that there plenty of supply, but it, as it turns out, easy for a woman to get laid in Vegas or sorry, in, yeah. in Nevada. Yep. As a whole. Yep. Yep. But, yeah. Especially when the bars and the clubs are open, man, all you got to do is put on a dress. <laughs> and sometimes not even that. Go in your hoodie and sweats. I mean, seriously. <laughs> yeah, the time and a place Honestly, where a woman's yeah. going to want to hire a, a sex worker is at home in her normal everyday life when she's like, I just want him to leave after yeah. so I can get back to analyzing some data. Like, not yeah. while she's on vacation, where a couple of jello shots later and she's like, I'll bang the first guy who doesn't seem like too much of a prick who will throw me into a dumpster after this <laughs> is over. Like, that. that's the Vegas experience for a woman. <laughs> Are you going to kill me? No. Okay, let's do this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but you know what? As, as a woman who's dating in Vegas, um, you have many, many men on the dating apps who are very willing to provide you with a similar kind of situation uh, arrangement. Oh, we're mm -hmm. just going to see each other. When we see each other, we're going to have a great time. We'll spend the day together doing what we do. And then I'll see you in a couple of weeks, you know, or I'll see you in a month or what have you. So don't even really have to pay for that here. <laughs> it's free here for women. <laughs> That's met everywhere. Well, we have some patrons to thank who get to see our fantastic hand gestures and the video episode of this. Uh, so this week we want to thank Leon Kassab, White Lily, Russell Smith, Matt, Stranger in a Strange Land, Chris Graffeo, Matthew Barrett, Brian Gowdy, Mike Serbetsko, John, Dave Wiener, Chris Clark, and many, many others. And if you want to become a patron yourself, head on over to patreon.com slash two girls on mic or two girls on Hit the support button and join us over there. We would love to have you support us and, you know, get extra content and see videos of us and interact with you. And of course, you guys can, you know, if you can't support us on Patreon, leave comments, leave a rating, share to your friends, share on Twitter, Facebook, the episodes. It always helps. And of course, you know, tell all your friends about the show. But Victoria, thank you so much for joining us. Where can our listeners find you and your own show? So uh, first of all, thank you guys so much for the invitation. This has been one of the funnest <laughs> conversations that I've had. And uh, you guys are awesome. And so I have a podcast with a professor uh, at UNLV. He's a sociology professor that nice. studies sexuality. His name's Josh Corm. And we have a podcast called Sex Nerd Podcast. And you can just go to sexnerdpod.com. We put the... Uh, the episode's there. We also have a YouTube channel. You just have to search for Sex Nerd Podcast. I'm on Twitter at Dr. Victoria, spelled out. And um, we just were monetized on GetVocal.com. It's G-E-T-V-O-K-L.com. And that's where we actually record our podcast live um, once a week. Sometimes we have guests. Sometimes it's just the two of us. And uh, come check us out because we are the perpetual contrarians that like to tear apart just about any research we get a hold of just for the sake of being a devil's advocate. And we have a good time doing it. So thank you for letting me plug all of that. <laughs> thank you for being on the show. And Yvette, where can our listeners find you? 
Y'all can find me at the Cybabe on Twitter and Instagram, and of course over at facebook.com slash Cybabe, where I do my bi-weekly live streams trying to explain COVID, the universe, and this is me gesturing broadly at everything. Alice, where can our listeners find you in all things the podcast? And you can find me and my blazer on uh, Twitter at Rational Blonde. But you can find all the things podcasts at TGM Podcast, uh, whether it be on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or heck, if uh, you're super lazy and you just want to share the show with people, tell them go to TGMPodcast.com. It'll just open up in their favorite podcast player. Excellent. Thanks, guys, uh, for tuning in this week. We'll catch you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.